I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, welcome back for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show. I'm Ian Mendes. Ahead on today's show with Sean McIndoe, we'll reflect on opening night in the NHL, which got a lot of people excited about a potential Montreal-Toronto playoff series. We'll discuss the Golden Knights' decision to dress five defensemen in a game on purpose. Speaking of which, our Vegas correspondent Jesse Granger drops by with some betting lines and tips for the start of the NHL season. We'll also discuss whether or not we should overreact to the Penguins' opening night loss. Should the NHL follow the NFL's lead and have a TV broadcast directly aimed at children? Plus, I want to float my crazy Willy Wonka golden ticket idea to NHL games this season. All of that, plus we tackle some of your Twitter questions, wrap up with a little This Week in Hockey History, because as you know, NHL history, right up Sean's alley. Most of you, you know him as Down Goes Brown, but of course he's Sean McIndoe, senior writer for The Athletic. And uh, I wrote this last week, when, or earlier this week, Sean, when we kicked off um, this podcast, you and I have quite the history, uh, almost 30 years together, going back to journalism school at Carleton. We have literally known each other since we were teenagers, which is, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's impressive and depressing at the same time. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, we, we go back forever. And I still remember walking into that uh, first journalism school classroom on the very first day and uh, uh, walking into a, uh, a room sitting down next to you and was not, if you had told me at the time, 
we'd be hosting a podcast uh, decades later. I would have asked you what a podcast was because uh, there was no such thing back then. But uh, this is this is still going to be fun. Yeah. And in fact, one of the questions we got asked on Twitter, and I apologize, I, I don't have this one in front of me. But uh, one of the questions was, you guys got to tell me a great story from your university days together. What people don't realize is Sean scored one of the greatest ball hockey goals of all time. We played in a ball hockey tournament. I think it was 1997. Do you remember what the grand prize was for us winning this? Uh, I think it was like a Molson Canadian yep. street hockey tournament that we won. We just got a bunch of guys together. Yeah. Got there, realized we we hadn't really thought it through because we didn't have a goaltender, which is the other great part of the story because we ended up making you strap the pads on and play yeah. goal. Uh, I What was the prize? I feel like it was, was it Senators tickets? It Did was Senators get? tickets to two games, okay? We got 25 tickets per game, and the opponents were the Florida Panthers <laughs> and the New York Islanders. Like, this is in the height of the yeah. Ziggy Palfi era of the Islanders. That, that so, feels like a consolation prize, but it was the grand prize. First prize, 25 tickets to see the Senators play the Panthers. Second prize, 50 tickets to see yeah. the Senators play the Panthers. And I don't even think I got to go to the games. But yeah, I... I did score the winner in overtime of the final. Uh, got got called Paul Henderson uh, for pretty much the rest of my uh, rest of my university ball hockey career. But for me, even having had that experience, the enduring memory of that day is we were all huddled up. It was an outdoor tournament. We're all huddled up. We're cold. They're blasting Billy Jean over the speakers, and we, you know we're trying to to game plan and strategize. And somebody kind of like puts his his elbow and in, in, into my ribs and goes like, look over there. And we turn around and you are sitting there in full goalie pads, just dancing to Billy Jean to keep warm, doing this weird little like twist thing dance. And we're sitting there going like, that's our goalie. We're going to get shelled. There is, this is going to be a disaster. We're going to be sitting in the bar by 11 o'clock AM. Uh, but it didn't, it didn't happen. You, you know, I, I was the Paul Henderson, but you were the Steve Penny of that story. It just came out of nowhere and stood on your head. And it was, uh, it was uh, enough to get us over the finish line. See, I thought you were going to call me David Ayers, but uh, I'll take Steve Penny because at least he won that's, a playoff round. That's too um, soon. That's too soon. Well, listen, uh, this is the perfect segue into talking about those Toronto Maple Leafs opening night uh, Wednesday in the National Hockey League. And I listen, the entertainment value of that game, and maybe it's because we haven't had NHL hockey in months that it was like we were all watching that, like inject this into our veins. But that Montreal-Toronto game last night was a a uh, 10 out of 10 in terms of entertainment, speed, offense, like that to me met, um, met all the expectations I could have uh, hoped for on opening night. Yeah, it, it was, it was lots of fun. And yeah, some of that you're right. It's, we, we've been waiting months for this. Uh, it's, it's two good teams. It's, you know, we, we would expect to see some, some skill on display. And then the other piece of it is everybody's rusty, you know, like I, I, I loved having, uh, no exhibition games. Just just do the camp and get into it. I you know eight exhibition games. It's a cash grab. Nobody needs that that many. But having the players go right in without anything at all, yeah. There there's a little bit of rust. There were mistakes. There there were. Uh, this was one of those games that the fans love. The coaches probably didn't. The coaches are probably sitting there going, "We got a ton of things to work on." But that's good. That's what makes hockey fun. Uh, hockey with mistakes is so much more fun than hockey played perfectly because hockey played perfectly ends up being a 2-1 game uh, with with not a lot of chances either way. And hockey with mistakes starts going back and forth. That's why junior hockey is so much more fun to watch very often uh, than uh, than the big leagues. And this was 
this was not junior hockey, but this was just just those little mistakes. And there's enough skill on the ice for both teams to turn those little mistakes into big plays. And and it was it was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and and that was it, it was it kind of got more fun as it went even through regulation. And then of course you get to three on three overtime with those two teams. And uh, I mean, let's, let's go, you know, you're in for a ride then. Yeah, that was the, the, the overtime was terrific. Um, and I look around the league last night and I see Toronto, Montreal, nine goals, Philly, Pittsburgh, nine goals, Vancouver hangs five on Edmonton. Tampa does the same to Chicago every year. We don't, you feel like we do this every year, yep. like the scoring and usually it's October. So it's a little bit different with the calendar being in January, but don't you feel like every year, we're like, maybe the offense is going to go up. But I think that we might, because of what you mentioned, the lack of exhibition games, I think we might, like eight or nine goals a night, might be the norm for the first three or four weeks. At least that's what I'm hoping in, yeah. in the first month of the season. For the first little while, we might see it. I, 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 you're right. We do this every year. And I anybody who's who's followed my stuff over the years knows that I'm always banging this drum of offense is fun. Every other league focuses their rules around creating more offense. We've seen the NFL do it and, and, and how that's paid off for them. And the NHL hasn't. And we were in year 25 of the dead puck era. And every single year, scoring goes up a little bit in October. And we all hang the big mission accomplished banner saying, dead puck era is over. We have done it. We have got the offense back up. And then, yeah, the closer we get to the playoffs, everything tightens up and, and it, uh, the scoring drops. So I, you know, I, I don't want to get suckered in again, but it, this is a unique season. So maybe we'll see some uh, some different stuff, and and maybe if as players have to come in and out of the of the lineups, and we see guys coming in on, on taxi squads who maybe haven't played, it, you know, some of that rust, some of those mistakes uh, that could maybe lead to a little bit more. Uh, in which case, great. That's you know, I I know I know there are people out there who love a zero zero tie. They they love a one nothing game tight defense back of it It, offense is what sells offense is what entertains and offense doesn't necessarily have to be goals it can be scoring chances you go back and forth and it's one nothing because the goalies are standing on their head that's great that's that's fantastic one nothing because both the coaches get their systems implemented perfectly and it's just the pucks getting chopped back and forth in the neutral zone that's not fun that's not what hockey should be hockey should be fast skilled and get some offense, get some goal scoring in there. And if that's what we see for the first few weeks, even better. We've been waiting long enough for uh, for this elite to come back. That'd be a great way for it to happen. And and it would uh, uh, it, it would really be entertaining if we saw more games that look like this. Well, listen, speaking of long waits, uh, it's been a long time since the Montreal Canadiens and Toronto Maple Leafs have met in a Stanley Cup uh, playoff series. In fact, uh, it's been since the 70s, and even then, it wasn't really an epic series. It's been a long, it's really since pre-expansion that they've met with any sort of uh, degree of consequence on the line. And I think last night, what, what people got really excited about was this is the first time you can actually realistically envision a Montreal Toronto playoff series, because they look like they might be, maybe they're the two best teams in this uh, division here. And certainly the Habs, I think uh, impressed some people yesterday. So as we look at the divisional alignment here, I'm going to throw out a couple of potential series that could happen that we haven't seen in a long time. Like I said, Habs Leafs haven't seen it since the seventies. Weirdly enough, the battle of Alberta, Edmonton, Calgary, we haven't seen that since 1991. That was that Theo Fleury celebration series. And then they uh, collapse and lose game seven and Rangers Islanders. We haven't seen since 94. And I, I think that was a sweep in 94 
where the Rangers won the President's Trophy and took out uh, the Isles in four straight. But we have the potential for some great rivalries that haven't met in the postseason to meet this year based on uh, the way the divisions are are set up. If you had to pick one of those, Habs, Leafs, Islanders, Rangers, or Battle of Alberta, are you going Habs, Leafs? Are you just looking through the blue and white lens here? Or is there something else that you might yeah. you might be interested in? I, I am. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put on my Homer glasses and and I want to see Montreal, Toronto. Uh, I I have not I haven't seen that in my lifetime as a fan. Uh, you know, I have never been able to sit down and and watch. And even though they were in different divisions for all through the '80s and and a big chunk of the '90s, but it's been 20 years that these two teams have been in the same division. Uh, and it just, it feels like it's, it's one of those weird laws of hockey that it, you look back in those last 20 years, the Leafs and the Habs are almost never good at the same time. Uh, it's, and, and, uh, you know, the, when, the, when the Leafs moved over, it was the Pat Quinn era that that Leafs team absolutely were Stanley cup contenders. Uh, they kept running into the senators, never got Montreal. Montreal wasn't very good back then. Montreal gets it back together. The Leafs fall apart, the, the Ferguson era and, uh, and, and don't dig out of that for for years after. Uh, there have been a couple of near misses. I remember there was one year. I think it came down to the final night. It, it was going to be Toronto Montreal, and I think it was the Senators who screwed it up. I don't remember who they beat, but it was it was I think 2013. It was the year that um, it, you know if you're if you're a Senators fan, you want some you want to claim that you got a playoff win over the Leafs. I, I'm pretty sure it was the Senators beat somebody, and that flipped it from Toronto-Montreal to Toronto-Boston, the, the infamous uh, Game 7 collapse series. And uh, that was the closest we've come. I'd love to see that. That's that's what I'm looking for. Now, having said that, what series do I want to see? It's Toronto-Montreal. What series would I enjoy? Calgary-Edmonton. Serve up Calgary-Edmonton. Because there is nothing better than playoff rivalry hockey where you're neutral. If you can be Switzerland and you're just sitting there going, I don't care who wins. I'm not invested. Toronto, Montreal, I want to see it, but that'll be agony for every Leafs fan, every Habs fan. No, nobody will have any fun. Uh, you'll you'll hate every second of it until it's over, and then and then half the fans will be happy and half will be miserable. Something like Calgary, Edmonton, I would love to watch that. And uh, uh, you're right; it's 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 inconceivable that those two teams have been in the same division all along. We haven't seen it. Um, I would love. That. I mean, it it almost sounds selfish, but you're sitting there saying. Hockey gods, if you're out there, give us Toronto Montreal in the in one first round matchup, Calgary Edmonton in the other one, and then let's see where it goes from there. And, and if not that, honestly, almost any of the Canadian matchups would just be so much fun. I mean, we haven't seen Vancouver Montreal since the very very beginning back in the seventies, and, and uh, you know we we haven't seen Winnipeg Edmonton. That used to be a, a great rivalry, one sided. Granted, but uh, you know the, they we haven't seen that I think since the Dave Ellett series back in uh, in 1990. All sorts of possibilities that would just be great. And of course, you know Ottawa's never played most of these teams uh, in the playoffs. It, it's so many different ways it could go. Uh, so much potential for for matchups that are that are going to be great. I, I, I mean, honestly, I look at the Canadian division. I'm not sure I see any matchup where I'm like I I don't know if I'd want to see that. I, everyone would offer something unique. But yeah, to Toronto, Montreal in one, Calgary, Edmonton in the other, and then you know who cares what what comes out of that? By that point, the the whole country will be uh, so so at each other's throats that uh, anything will feel feel great. So at, the, at that point, now we can go ahead and lock in Ottawa, Winnipeg in round one. Yeah, after, I know. Uh, Sean says there's every matchup I've is appealing. That. 
Oh, yeah, man, that's you've absolutely. Fault. I'm sorry. Uh, my bad. Some of that. Uh, by the way, in 2013, you're right. It came down to the last game of the season. Ottawa actually went to Boston. It was a game that was uh, rescheduled due to the marathon bombing, and it ended up being played at the last. And it, the entire Eastern Conference playoff uh, scenario came down to Ottawa, Boston, end of April 2013. And JG Pajot, who was a little known guy at the time, scored with like four minutes left. And that's what sealed Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto, Boston. Otherwise, if that game is. had ended in a in a different, even if it went to overtime, I believe uh, Boston would have gotten a point and everything would have been different. And wow. you never would have had to hear it was 4-1. I, I, I remember that because I wrote a whole big thing for Grandland where I was like, hey, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but Toronto is going to play Montreal and it's going to be so amazing. And I just... I, I, again, the hockey gods saw that, uh, they realized I was getting ahead of myself and they had to, they had to smack me down. And, uh, so yeah, con- congratulations, senators fans. You can at least uh, take some credit for the 2013 Leafs playoff disaster. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, that, that year in 2013, Ottawa beat Montreal in the round one and then lost, uh, to, to Pittsburgh in round two, the Penguins, Sean, have been a lock it in playoff team essentially since Sid Crosby came into the league, uh, since 07, they've been in the playoffs. I loved your little weirdly specific, uh, season preview where you're like, Pittsburgh is going to be a, a big player at the deadline. Just can't tell if they're going to be a buyer or a seller. So let's overreact. Shall we mm-hmm. do a six, three Penguins loss opening night against their state rivals, the Flyers. Um, should there be some concern that if Pittsburgh is going to be uh, kind of left out in the cold in a very strong, uh, di- and I even forgot forgot the corporately uh, named that was at the Mass Mutual East Nobody Division, cares. whatever. It Nobody, is. it's cares. the East. Is, is Pitts- could Pittsburgh potentially miss the playoffs this year? I, I mean, a good team's going to miss the playoffs in that division. There are five teams, not even counting the the Rangers, who a lot of people would see on a trajectory towards a playoff spot. There's five. Lock them in playoff teams and there's four spots. So somebody is going to be the one left without a chair. And I, I've been saying this for a little while on the Penguins. And this is part of this is I still have the scars from last year. I did not see the Sharks collapse coming. Now, not a lot of people did to the extent that it happened. But the Sharks, people forget, they went to the conference final 2019. Good team, veteran team. But I remember saying, you know, boy, when the window closes in San Jose, it's it's really going to close, but it's not going to happen for a little while. And of course it did. It slammed shut. Uh, and and now I'm kind of looking around going, okay, who's going to be this year's Sharks? Who's going to be the team that we all assume is a contender that has been a contender for long enough that we just pencil them in? And then when they take the step back, it's not the step back to, oh, we missed the playoffs by two points. It's a step back further than that. And to me, Pittsburgh checks a lot of the boxes for that. Uh, you know, they're they're an older team. Some of the depth isn't there. The goaltending, you know, we'll we'll have to see uh, if if that can hold up. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I could absolutely see that we get to the end of this season and there's Pittsburgh again in holding down one of the top two spots in that division, and we all go, yeah, of course, Sidney Crosby, Getty Malkin, of course, they're going to be good. But you just look at them and you go, okay, if somebody's going to take a step back and maybe a bigger step back than we think, I feel like Pittsburgh has a chance at at potentially doing that. And I, I've written that in a few places. When we did our uh, preview for The Athletic, I put down Mike Sullivan as my bet to be first coach fired. Not because I necessarily think it's the most likely scenario, but because I could I could see it happening. This Jim Rutherford's not messing around. He doesn't seem to have a lot of patience. 
Um, and I've had pushback from Penguin fans going, you're crazy. He just got an extension. They're not going to pay him to, to not coach and, and all of that. And, and I take that point. Um, it, Penguins, again, I, I, I wish I had the guts to sit here and say, you know what? I'm stamping it. Penguins missed the playoffs. Penguins, the, the window's closed, all of this. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying that if we get to the end of the season and, and, and Pittsburgh has, has kind of flatlined a little bit, uh, you're going to see some people going, oh, no one could have seen it coming. I think some people can at least kind of see it coming. Well, you know, it's funny because we got a tweet here from uh, the only puckster. And by the way, I want to, to remind our, our listeners here, you can hit us up on Twitter, but also uh, email. If you have any questions for us, the athletic hockey show at gmail.com, the athletic hockey show at gmail.com as well. We're going to start incorporating this because it's the first show that you and I have done together, but we're going to try and incorporate uh, some voicemails. From, from listeners too. You can leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. 845-445-8459. And don't worry, at some point, we will come up with something clever, like a hockey-related thing to remember. Just call 845-whatever. Don't worry. And we'll leave that to uh, the, the wit and the pun of, of uh, Down Goes Brown here to do that. But the, the tweet that we got here is, could the Caps be this year's version of the San Jose Sharks. So mm-hmm. we just walked through Pittsburgh. Would you not argue that the Capitals have, uh, you know, Oshie and Backstrom and Ovi, and obviously Lundqvist is out of the equation. Now you bring in Chara. Like that's a, that, look, they got a couple of guys in their 20s that I like, but the core of that team is on the quote unquote wrong side of, of 30. Yep. That could be this year's version of the Sharks, no? Yeah, absolutely. I, it, a lot of what I just said about Pittsburgh uh applies to the caps as well somewhat unproven goaltending um uh, you know it, uh, i i think they'll be okay but when you, Braden Holpe leaves uh, there goes your your veteran safety net at the very least uh yeah i i think they're the washington capitals especially when you look at and man with both pittsburgh and washington we we said at the beginning of last year's weird qualifying playoffs that we're not going to overreact to what happens. I think everyone said we can't, they're playing playoff games in August. We can't overreact to it. But then man, Pittsburgh, we, we saw what happened with them with Montreal. Washington looked awful. They, I mean, they just didn't look like they were interested at all. The one thing that maybe makes me a little more hesitant to be doom and gloom on Washington is Peter Laviolette, who is a, a very, very good coach. But B is a guy, especially, that tends to get results in year one. He's one of those old school guys, kind of like a Ken Hitchcock, kind of like a Pat Burns, where it feels like as soon as you bring him in, the clock starts ticking on how long it's going to work. But that year one, that first year or two, I mean, I think he's been to the final, isn't it? Like two or three times in his first year with the team. I really feel like for a, a team like Washington, where the window is closing, Clearly, and the Ovechkin era is is has has got whatever it's got left. You want to squeeze every drop out of that. Pierre Laviolette, I thought, was a great choice, and I could see him even if even if they're heading in the wrong direction, I could see him slamming the brakes on that long enough to get them another season or two of of contending. Yeah, I still think Laviolette. Like, he, look, he he won the cup with Carolina in 06 and then took Philly in twenty ten and Nashville. I still think people sleep on what he did with the Islanders in the early two thousands. Like, that wasn't a great team, yep. and he took them. 
to the playoffs. So you're right. He seems to have that kind of whatever new coach smell that comes in and it just, it, uh, it seems to work. I think a lot of people would think it would be absolutely delicious if both Pittsburgh and Washington missed the playoffs in the same year, yep. right? Like uh, for, if you don't have a horse in the race, uh, boy, that uh, I think a lot of people would be uh, happy with that. It's going to be delicious right up until Pittsburgh wins the draft lottery. And, yeah. <laughs> and then we all lose our minds. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, uh, Crosby yesterday, Sid Crosby, uh, Sean scored an unbelievable goal with the hand-eye coordination. And he kind of one-handed put it in the net. And it got me thinking after I saw that, I was like, you know, when you think, when you close your eyes, you think of Alex Ovechkin. You're like, what's the best goal Ovechkin scored? There's that, that, that kind of behind the back one against Arizona. There's one mm-hmm. where he kind of spun around the neutral zone. I think it was against the Habs where he like, he kind of passed it to himself off the boards. Like there's a couple of like, absolutely electrifying highlight reel Alex Ovechkin goals. And then I was thinking about Sid and I'm like, okay, obviously the golden goal is there, but if you remove that from the equation and you're just looking at it from like a spectacular highlight reel metric, what comes to mind for Sid? And is that one uh, in the opener on Wednesday, potentially on the short list of the most impressive goals 87 has ever scored in the NHL? Yeah. uh, You know, his signature move, if he has it, is is and we saw it last night is is that puck batted out of the air it's that uh and and he's got a few like that and i i i wrote a thing about this a few weeks ago where i said that i I don't understand why hockey fans we we tend to get so excited when a player bats the puck out of the air and i've never really understood that and and i'm i'm saying that not because i think it's easy to bat a puck out of the air i'm saying everything these guys do out on the ice is so difficult you know anyone who's ever played the sport anyone who's, who's put the skates on you go out there and you just you, you get a puck into your skates and you try to kick it up and i mean i don't know about you but for me that's that's it i, I i'm down like i'm i'm uh, i'm gonna be i'm gonna be uh, in traction for a week if i try some of this stuff that these guys do with no effort but i can bat something out of the air i know how to do that and and so it uh i i wrote that hey you know we we could stop getting too excited when there's a shot and the goalie pops a rebound up and somebody bats it out of the air and it goes in. Uh, you know, that that's not a, a great goal. But when Sidney Crosby comes in full speed, fires one, hits the post into the air, and then without breaking stride, he bats it back in behind the goalie, that's a great goal. Like that's a that's a phenomenal goal. And and he's he does have that hand eye where, you know, again, a puck that's kind of floating in the air, you knock it out of the air, that doesn't impress me. But when it's something like we saw last night where a goaltender fires the puck pretty hard and it's it's almost like just slow motion for Sid. He just said, nope, I'm just going to pick this out of the air with my stick and, and put it there. Those are real nice goals. And that is kind of his uh, uh, his his signature. And uh, yeah, I will make an exception to my let's not get too impressed uh, rule when it's him doing it because half the time he's doing it at full speed before anyone else even realizes where the puck is. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, one of the cool things is, again, we're starting uh, this uh, this Athletic Hockey Show podcast. Uh, we're starting it from scratch is that uh, we get to build out the show. And one of the, the, the cool elements for Sean and I is every week we're going to be joined uh, uh, by Jesse Granger out in Vegas talking about some of the betting lines, uh, money lines, and over-unders, that type of thing. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Now, I, Sean's probably going to shoot down this idea, and maybe Jesse will too. I want to call this segment Granger Things. And I know that they, I'm hearing the moans, I you know, but I think Granger things works unless you guys can can come up with something better than that. All right, I I, I got to jump in here. I've known this guy for decades. If you've got a problem with puns, you got to get off now because this is. If you thought that was bad, this guy is he's he's coming in light. It's sort of easing his way in. Uh, yeah, I'm on board. Let's let's do it. I, I wasn't expecting any puns, but best pun with my name that I've ever heard. So we'll go with it, Ian. There we go. We're going to we, we could even maybe work the Stranger Things, uh, that kind of creepy music into it. We roll with uh, Jesse Granger, Granger Things. Hey, we're going to talk some betting with you. But the first thing we want to talk about that, that both uh, Sean and I are quite curious about, and I think hockey fans around the league, uh, Jesse, you're curious about, is the Vegas Golden Knights rolling into their home opener on Thursday and going ahead and announcing preemptively. They're going with five defensemen. This is very rare. We've seen seven defensemen. We've very rarely seen five. Can you walk us through the rationale, the explanation for why the Vegas Golden Knights would dress five defensemen on purpose in a game? Yeah, this one is definitely more of a out of necessity than out of this is something they feel like trying. Um, I don't think that the impression I got talking to Peter DeBoer yesterday was that this was something that they just had to do because this team is crashed up against the salary cap. Um, they don't have a ton of space. They're going to be shuffling guys with paper transactions back and forth between the AHL and the NHL basically all season um, in order to gain as much salary cap space as they can. And I think it's a combination of that and the fact that they didn't want to waive Keegan Colasar, who's a second round pick and, and he hasn't played much in the NHL. He made his debut last year, um, but he's a guy who they think is kind of on that bubble for the roster. I don't know if they thought he'd be claimed or not, but he's going to be the 13th forward tomorrow night or sorry, tonight. And they, they're going to play with five defensemen. I think it's like I said, salary cap situation, they didn't have the space to have Nick Holden up there, who they probably would have liked. He and Zach Whitecloud were on that bottom pairing last year in the playoffs. They played really well together, so they had to waive Nick Holden. Uh, luckily for them, he cleared waivers. He's on the taxi squad now, but that saves them a little over a million dollars in salary cap space, which gets them under and cap compliant, which they haven't been all offseason. So out of necessity, Keegan Colsar will be the 13th uh, forward tonight, and, and they're going to run with five defensemen. And if you're going to do that, it's nice to have Alex Petrangelo and Shea Theodore, two guys who can play 20 plus minutes and, and you can just throw them out there every shift and you're not worried about it. So I think for the short term, the five defensemen can work. This is probably not a strategy they want to employ over 56 games, but for tonight, it'll be all right. All right. So Jesse, like I said, a big, uh, you know, thing that we're excited about having you on is kind of walking us through some of the betting lines here. And let's look at the seven teams that kind of didn't participated in the return to play the three teams from California, Ottawa, Detroit, Buffalo, and Jersey. Um, how interesting is the, the first couple of weeks of the season going to be uh, tracking them and trying to figure out some trends as uh, they've got the longest 
kind of stretch between games of, of all the teams in the league. Right. So so like as you guys mentioned, I'll be on here weekly and I think we're going to look a lot at trends. And, and early in the season, we obviously don't have those yet with just the first few games being played last night. But one of the trends that I'm excited to just see what happens, I don't know which way it's going to go. And I'd kind of like to get you guys thoughts on maybe which way you think it's going to go. But those seven teams, Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit, New Jersey, Anaheim, L.A. and San Jose, it's been a long time since they've played hockey. And it, that could be a good thing. These teams could be excited. Maybe these teams that aren't as talented as some teams they're going to be playing against will play over their head early in the season. And maybe that's something to watch. Or maybe they're going to be rusty. And these teams that played in the bubble up in Edmonton and Toronto are going to be a little sharper. And it'll be something you want to play against and you want to fade those teams. Um, I don't know which way it's going to go. None of them played last night, but six of them will be playing tonight and all six are underdogs. So you're going to get good prices on these teams if they are maybe overperforming what they should be early on. So like I said, not a trend that we can track yet, but just something early in the season that that I'm interested in watching, especially these teams like Anaheim and L.A. who who have young teams like they, th- those teams were old and they that that core group of guys who are going to cups is now kind of getting older. I feel like this is the first year that they really have that injection of youth into their team. So if those teams can get off to a, an early start, maybe they they think they're better than they are, and, and you could make some money with those good lines. Yeah, I'm, I, to me, I don't know what, like, Sean, like, I, out of those seven teams, like, San Jose is the one that I could actually see being a playoff team, whereas, I, boy, I, I don't, Buffalo and, and Jersey are going to have a hard time in that division. Detroit is still in the rebuild. Ottawa's in a tough division. I, I don't know. I think, Sean, I, I'm looking at San Jose out of those seven teams and thinking that might be where I would put a little bit of money if I had to pick one out of those seven to make the postseason. I I, I think the Sharks and, and I think potentially the other one might be the Ducks uh, just because of the goaltending situation. You, you've got uh, with with John Gibson, who did not have a good year last year and, and you know maybe is starting to lose some of the luster as far as being considered an elite guy, but he's done it before. Uh, that's a situation where maybe you could see, uh, you could see him putting together a hot year and, and, you know, they, the, that division, you've just got to catch one of Arizona or, or sorry, both of Arizona and Minnesota. It's, it's not a huge hill to climb. Um, so that would be the other one I could see as a playoff team. And then, you know, I have said it before, but I do feel like there's a little bit of sleeping being done on the Buffalo Sabres, not as a playoff team. Uh, because as you mentioned, that division is just so tough, but it's, it's like, there's this decade of failure attached to this team and people just kind of roll their eyes and goes, ah, it's the Sabres, uh, you know, Sabres, Sabres, they're, they're bad every year. Yeah. But you know what? They, they don't have to be great to be, to represent good value. If you're dropping a couple of bucks on the game, if they're, you know, if it's that extra half goal penalty that they're paying in the, in the lines because of uh, what's happened years ago, you know this this team added a an MVP. This is a young team. If it if it does come together again, not predicting they're going to be a cup contender this year. But if I'm looking to make a drop a wager every now and then uh, on an individual game, the Sabers are a team that I might take a look at. Right, and and that's a great point, Sean. Um, like you said, these teams don't have to win all the time for you to win money um, betting on them because you're going to get really good prices. You look at some of the lines tonight, and like Anaheim who you mentioned, they're plus 190 tonight, almost a two to one underdog against the Golden Knights. And, and Vegas is really good. But I also think that maybe no team in, in all of major sports gets a bigger home ice advantage boost or home field advantage boost in the lines than the Vegas Golden Knights. And that's partially because they're the Vegas home team. And, and whenever they're playing at home here at T-Mobile Arena, the fans like to bet them. But also just 
I think it's a little overinflated, so you, you can find value betting against the Knights at home, especially in a season where the home ice doesn't mean nearly as much as it normally would. So um, like you said, those those teams, you don't have to win a lot to win money on them because you're going to get good lines. So it's going to be something I'm interested in. May, and maybe we end up playing against those teams. Maybe maybe we find out early on, like I said, six of them playing tonight. Maybe those teams aren't ready for for the speed that, that these teams from coming from the bubble are. Um, are at so so maybe it'll be a play against and I think what's going to be interesting too you're seeing it in the NBA home court advantage is out the window and if that comes in that's going to make some of these lines especially early in the season like you said this is where you want to jump on uh, some of those things before the trends are uh, kind of established let's move guys from uh, the kind of the seven non-playoff teams to some of the contenders here and this is going to uh, either this is going to make Sean super excited or super nervous the Toronto Maple Leafs 11 to 1 to win the Stanley Cup. How do we feel about that line? Yeah, when I'm looking at futures, that was one that stood out to me, and it's it's not as much a reflection on, I think the Leafs are better than they have been. I think it's more just, they don't have Tampa Bay and Boston staring down at them in that division. And the way the playoffs are structured this year, you almost have to, and, and I'm kind of, I mean, we're just getting into this season, you almost have to think of the future betting in a totally different way than you normally would. Normally you're thinking, okay, if I'm betting on a team to win the Cup, I need them to be one of the four or so best teams in the league. Because once you get to a conference final, you can hedge bets, and and, you, and because of the odds, you can win some money. You just need to get them to that final four. But the way it's structured now, where they're going to get to a final team on each division before they ever even play anyone in the league, it's, it has nothing to do with their standing in the overall league. It's more, can Toronto win this division? And when you look at the other contenders, I mean, the next closest team, as far as the odds, uh, to Tampa Bay is the Oilers. And they're all the way at 27-1. to 1, So... If you're looking for not a long shot, a team that actually has a real chance at winning the cup that has some value, I think Toronto, just because they don't have those other, like Colorado has Vegas and St. Louis, Tampa Bay has Carolina and Dallas, that Boston, Philadelphia, Washington, Pittsburgh division is stacked. I feel like Toronto is the team that has the easiest path to make it to that final four to where once you reach that point, you've made money. Yeah. And I mean, you get to the final four and uh, I know I've seen people say, yeah, but they get to the final four, they're going to have to play Tampa or they're going to play well, who knows by that point. I mean, right. and, and who's healthy and who's not, it's, it's, you know, maybe not a one and four shot, but pretty close to that. They said something on the broadcast last night uh, of the Leafs game that really made me kind of stop and do a double take and have to think about it. But they said, uh, when you, if you're the Leafs or any team in that Canadian division, you've only got to beat seven teams this year. You've got to beat, uh, or, or uh, you've got to beat eight teams. You've got to beat the six teams in your division to get out of that division. And then there's going to be two teams left, one in the conference final, one in the Stanley Cup. And that's it. Those are the only teams you're ever going to play. You don't have to be the best team in the league. And so, uh, you know, I, I see where it's coming from. I'm, I'm always, I've, I've got too many scars from the Leafs over the decades to, uh, to get too excited. But, but I see it. How much, when you see a, a line like that, on a big market, big attention team like the Leafs, how much of that is the odds makers' real perspective and how much of it is influenced by money that might be coming in from Leafs Nation wanting to drop a couple of bucks on the home team? Right. That's a great point. And it's something that I actually had written down and I, and I didn't mention is like, this might be good, like the best value you ever get on Toronto, because I feel like that's a team you don't get great value on. Same with, like I mentioned with the Golden Knights, you, you're not getting the best of the number anytime you bet the Golden Knights in Vegas ever. And Toronto is another very public, uh, publicly backed team that any given night, even here in Vegas, you, you go to a sports book, majority of the tickets on a Toronto Maple Leafs game are going to be on the Leafs. So so there is that. Um, you're, you're not getting 
amazing value and you never will with with a team like Toronto or Vegas or like even a Tampa Bay that that's won a ton lately um that you're you're not going to get great value on those games and like I don't think I would be betting on the Leafs regularly on on individual games because on those games you're probably not getting um the best of the number but like I said I think I think the unique uh, the unique playoff format has has given us value on a team that you normally couldn't get value on. Uh, just as we wrap up with your two uh, with your two uh, two more here to, to hit on, uh, Sean and I talked about this earlier about could Washington potentially be this year's San Jose where they miss the playoffs completely? But also, you, I'm looking at uh, some of the future bets here, and I'm also seeing them at five to one to win their division. Uh, where, where do you see Washington kind of potentially being a, in terms of being a division winner? And is that smart money to put down on the caps? Yeah, I was looking at just some, some the odds to win divisions. And, and that one, I think Washington and the Islanders are right there with them. Washington's five to one and the Islanders are six to one. And I, to me, that division is so tough. And, and that's the group of death to use a soccer term with Boston and Philly and Pittsburgh and Washington and both the New York teams. And, and like even Sean mentioned, Buffalo could be improved this year. I just think in a division with that many good teams, and I feel like there's going to be chaos, and this is hockey, things never end up the way we expect them to. I just don't think it's going to be Boston, Philly, Pittsburgh at the top of that division like like the odds suggest. And that's really where you see the big jump. When you when you look at, you go down the list and it's like, okay, Tampa Bay's 5-2, to two, Boston 7-2, to or sorry, Boston 7-2, to two, Philly's 5-2, to two, and then Washington's 5-1. to one. There's that big jump right there. Um, so to me, if you... Maybe, maybe if you like the Islanders more than the Capitals, um, I think either of those teams, I just feel like if you're going to take a flyer on a team to win a division, that's pretty good value for, for a Washington team that has a ton of talent. And, and if they put it all together, can be really good. And, and was the first place team in that division last year. Right. You know, we, we kind of valued the playoffs were such a mess that you forget about that. But that was they, they were first place when the season paused last last year. See, I, I thought if you were going to take a flyer on a team to win that division, it, it would be Philadelphia. There it See, is. I, <laughs> I told you there would be some bad puns. Hey, let's wrap it up here. We're looking at one individual um, uh, kind of player prop bet, if we can here, Jesse. And that would be, uh, you're looking at the DraftKings player prop bet on Nate McKinnon in Colorado to lead that uh, that team in goal. Yeah, usually when you find the player prop bets, you find value in players that aren't super well-known to the public. But in this case, Nathan McKinnon, I'm looking down the list and like, there, there are so many interests, and like this is the great thing about sports betting becoming more nationally accepted is just there's so much to bet on. And DraftKings, you can bet just about anything you can think of. And, and in this case, you can bet which player will lead that team in goals. And Nathan McKinnon's minus 155, meaning you'd have to bet 155 bucks just to win 100. That's, that is a lot on a player to win to score the most goals. But at the same time, who else is going to lead this team in goals? I just don't see a possible scenario other than Nathan McKinnon having a major injury that leads to anyone other than him leading this team in goals. So while minus 155 is a very high price to pay for a single player to lead his team in goals, I just feel like that one is a slam dunk. And, and if I can bet 155 bucks to win 100 on Nate McKinnon leading the Colorado Avalanche in goals, that seems like of all the uh, the individual player prop bets I gazed over, that one definitely caught my eye. Well, listen, Jesse Granger, I hope you enjoyed the initial installment of Granger Things. We're looking forward to having you on with us every Thursday. Listen, enjoy the uh, the opening of the season uh, this weekend. Uh, have a great week, and we'll get you again next uh, next week. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Jesse. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. 
Mm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. You know, one of the things I think, Sean, a lot of people had their eyes on last night were it was the on Wednesday was the first time we were going to see advertising on the helmets. And I know that it came with mixed reviews. I got to tell you, watching the I, I'll use Toronto, Montreal as an example. It didn't really bother me. It didn't really stick out as much as I thought. I have a feeling that this is here to stay. I don't see how they put this genie back in the bottle. Yeah, I'll, I'll even go one further. I didn't even notice it last night when I was watching. I mean, I, I uh, and and part of that is me. I, I'm one of those people when I even when I've got the hockey game on, I've usually got a second screen. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm flipping back and forth between games. I'm checking Twitter. I'm maybe doing some writing. So. I'm not watching as much of the between whistle action, and that's when you would really notice when they they cut to the bench or they cut to a player during the game. You can't see them at all. It's it's and and even even between. I, I mean, I once or twice I was like, oh right, there's the ad on the helmet. I didn't didn't notice it. Didn't bother me. You know what? If if this is going to stick around, and and it stays the way it is now with one for the most part, they're pretty subtle. Uh, that that. That doesn't bother me. I don't want this to be step one of covering the whole helmet with these things, but it didn't bother me at all. I'll tell you what I didn't like is that they slipped in that that extra line of advertising around the glass that you saw uh, in the uh, in in the Canadian games, especially. That was that to me was far more noticeable than than anything that they were doing uh, as far as far as the helmets, and I didn't love that because that's a situation where that could actually interfere with you being able to, to see where the puck is. Um, that's the one that if, if I'm going to pick something to hike up my pants around my waist and be my, be the old timer uh, crotchety guy, I'll, I'll complain about what they did on the glass. Helmets didn't bother me at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I like it when you, you lean into the get off my lawn uh, version yeah. of, uh, of down goes Brown. Hey, look, look, we know the league is trying different things and, and the helmet advertising is a great example of kind of thinking outside of the box. Now I'm going to pitch something to you. And we're going to workshop this. You're going to tell me if this is a good idea, a bad idea, or somewhere in between. So okay. everybody is probably familiar with Willy Wonka, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? They mail out five golden tickets. If you get one, you get an exclusive trip inside the, inside the Chocolate Factory, which turns out to be a hellish trip. But that's another story <laughs> for another day. Here's what I'm thinking. We know that you can't, in, in 90% of rinks in the league are not allowing anybody. But what if you allowed five people, Sean? What if you allowed... Five people. Now, this is where you work with your sponsors. Maybe it's a beer company. Maybe it's a chip company. Maybe it's a pizza company. And to kind of drum up support, you're like, hey, hidden in a bag of chips is a ticket to a Philadelphia Flyers game. And the Flyers work with their sponsors. And then there's a little bit of buzz. And people like, is there any merit to the golden ticket idea? Where And again, maybe it's five people that get to go to the game. Yes? No? Dumb? <sighs> I, I mean, I don't hate it. I don't, you know, I'm not, if like, if I'm the guy that you're pitching this to, I'm not kicking you out of my office right now, but uh, I've done, I gotta be honest. The, the the first thing that comes to mind as soon as you say this is I'm picturing like a Leaf Senators game in Ottawa with five fans spread around, but like three of them are wearing Leafs jerseys. And then now like the, the, so the, the sense ritual. fans are trying to figure out like, can I hit that guy with a beer from three sections away? I don't know if my arm, I got to warm my arm up to really, uh, to really get into it. But uh, yeah, I, you know what? I don't hate it. 
But I'll tell you this, the very first time that those five fans get together and try to do the wave, it's it's over. The whole thing is done. We're pulling the promo off the shelves immediately. Okay, uh, you know what? I'll take that. That that uh, It was a lukewarm response to the Willy Wonka golden ticket idea. Um, I'm telling you, I think, I think it's got some traction here. So the other thing that I like to float, and this is something that the NFL did in conjunction with Nickelodeon and CBS, and that was during wildcard weekend, Sean. I know you're also an NFL guy. You're also a guy that has um, kids that might fall into this demographic of, should the NHL potentially be doing this? Should the NHL take a page out of the NFL's book, Sean, and have a Nickelodeon or kids-style broadcast of an NHL game to engage a younger demographic. Yeah, I'm I'm all for trying new things. And I think that that's, that's what the NHL should, should be doing. When you're a distant number four, uh, especially down, you know, down in the United States, and that might be generous to say number four at this point, get creative. You try some new things. And, you know, if the NFL can do it, then, then of course the NHL could. We didn't get that up. Up here in Canada, you couldn't watch the the Nickelodeon version. So I I didn't see a ton of it other than a couple of clips that were getting posted on social media. But I'll tell you right now, I, you know, I I got a a 10 year old and I told him, hey, do you want to watch some football this afternoon? And he he lasted about 10 minutes watching the traditional broadcast. And then he wandered off to go do something else. If we'd had the Nickelodeon with like slime in the end zones and that, he would have absolutely watched that. He would have been there for that. And, uh, you know. Is it is it for everyone? No, of course not. It was never uh, never pitched that way. But yeah, try try something new like that. Let's uh, let's see. It's uh, you know the NHL, unfortunately, for various reasons over the last couple of decades has has lost a lot of uh, a generation of sports fans. Let's get the next one. Let's uh, you know let let's try to bring that back. I remember in the mid '90s when the NHL kind of very briefly. When they were working with ESPN and they were trying to be cool and there was like that, you know, the, it's the coolest game on ice and the weird ads and those crazy Fox sports intros where like, you know, there'd be body checks and guys would explode and, and all sorts of crazy stuff. That, that was good. You know, it, even at the time, I know I, I wasn't even old yet, but I was still like, ah, I don't know, this is a traditional game. You can't have stuff like that. I look back on that now and I'm like, yeah, of course you try something like that. Bring some new fans on board. Why not? What's what's the worst that can happen? If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. People don't watch it. A lot of people aren't watching anyways. Uh, take a shot. Have some fun with it. To me, I, I could just see, can't you just see this now? Tomorrow, the NHL sends out a press release. We have a 20-year agreement with Caillou. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. It's, it would be, yeah, we have, uh, yeah, we have connected with Caillou uh, a 20-year deal. But yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think just try things that are out of the box. That That's what you have to do if you are the fourth. In fact, that that's almost gives you creative license to to be a little. And if, if the NFL is willing to to gamble on something like that, then my goodness, yeah, uh, the NHL should probably do that. Let, let me hit on a couple of um, uh, emails and tweets that we've received. A reminder, you can email us your questions to the athletic hockey show at gmail.com, the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. We got a couple of uh, tweets here, Sean. This one's from Amber, who tweeted uh, wondering, how do you think that with the divisional format that the season series will affect rivalries? And do you think this will become too played out and stale? Or do you think those later games this season are going to become pretty heated? Like, do you think that, but let let, let me put it this way. When we get to like April and May, are you going to be tired of Toronto, Vancouver, Toronto, Winnipeg, you know, Montreal, Edmonton. Are we going to be tired of that? There's going to be certain teams that just aren't going to be interesting and you're going to be sick and tired of seeing them. But I think this, this is a great question because this season is going to be a really interesting test 
of whether we can still do rivalries in the NHL the way that we used to. I mean, you and I, we both grew up in the, you know, for me, it was the Leafs and the Norris division. For you, you had the Montreal and the Adams. Uh, You're watching Smythe division out West. Uh, There were some great rivalries, just some some all-time classic ones and bad blood and just must-see TV. And, And I've been one of the people, I know a lot of people don't like the playoff format these days that's trying to kind of go back to that divisional base thing. And I did like it when they brought it in because I said, I want to go back to that. I want to see those same matchups coming in the playoffs every year and, and, and build that bad blood and, and let's, let's get that going again. And I have to acknowledge that it hasn't really worked. And part of that is because it's not five team divisions anymore. It's eight teams and you don't get the exact same matchups year after year like you used to in some of those old divisions. But also it's, it's just the way the game is nowadays. I remember back in the early 90s, if there was a Norris division home and home, Two teams are going to play each other twice in two nights. Look out. You knew there were going to be fireworks. There was, there was no way around it. And if you had told me then that, hey, someday there's going to be a schedule where you're going to play the same team four times in a row, oh, boy, look out. I mean, that's going to be crazy. Will it be this year in the way the NHL is these days? It Maybe not. And, and I, you know, if we don't get, if, if we don't come out of this season going, wow, those are some great rivalries that were built. There was some, boy, there, there was so much intensity, so much bad blood. If we don't come out of this season saying that, I think we can probably safely put the idea to rest that we're ever going to get back any piece of that, that that we used to have in in the quote-unquote old days. I'm going to circle back to you after the seventh Ottawa-Winnipeg meeting, and uh, and we'll see if that thing gets spicy or not. Okay, yeah. one of the things that I'm really excited about with this podcast is, is I'm going to wrap up every episode with this, Sean, because this is, this is right up your alley. In fact, l- let's do a shameless book plug here. For anybody who yep. doesn't know about your Down Goes Brown Hockey history here, free, free platform to, to pitch your book here. It is the down goes Brown history of the NHL. And it's, it's basically what the title sounds like. It is the entire history, a uh, hundred plus years of the NHL, but with a focus on the weird and strange and the way that couldn't actually have happened sort of stories that this league provides a lot of the, the subtitle of the book is uh, it's the world's most beautiful game is presented by the world's dumbest league. And uh, that is uh uh, a kind of an ongoing theme. So it covers all the big stuff. It also covers all of the weird stuff where if, if you're a new fan, you're going to be sitting there going, this guy's making this stuff up. There's no way. It, yes, there is, because this this league is so filled with uh, uh, completely bizarre stories that uh, just leave you scratching your head. So one of those stories, and we'll we'll hit on this here to wrap up the show. So we'll do on the, th- this week in hockey history. So January the 15th, 1990, Sean, the Washington Capitals uh, relieved Brian Murray of his duties as head coach of the team. And Brian had been there about eight years and replaced him with drum roll, please. His brother, Terry. It's one of the oddest uh, replacements in hockey history. Like I would want to know, here's a question for you. Like if your sibling got fired from a job and you got offered the job, would you take the job? Yeah, it's it, That is the question. And, <laughs> and, and let's, let's clarify because people might be hearing this and going, Oh, like was Terry Murray, like the assistant on his brother's staff and they promoted him up. No, like Terry Murray was coaching and I, I don't remember if it was junior or the AHL or something, but he was, he was an up and coming coach. Uh, and the Washington Capitals just decided that they were going to fire Brian Murray and that the best coach out there to replace him happened to be his brother. It wasn't an nepotism thing. It wasn't a you know, their plan of succession or anything like that. Uh, and yeah, Terry Murray said at the time that he wasn't sure what to do when they called him and said, we're firing your brother. Do you want the job? Obviously, there was a part of him that that was, I'm sure, thinking like, no, I'm not going to go in and take my brother's job. 
But he also, and he, he said it at the time, he, he said, when am I going to get this opportunity again? This door doesn't open all that often. And it was, it was really interesting because you go back and you read news articles from around the time. And, and even a few days after, the brothers hadn't spoken about it. They, they hadn't talked to each other. Not because not there was animosity necessarily, because they, they weren't coordinating on this. They weren't uh, on the same, uh, you know, they, they, they hadn't been talking about this. They didn't realize it was a possibility. And it's just one of those things where you're like, of all the people that you could potentially hire uh, to take over from a guy to call up his brother uh, is just such a such a bizarre thing. Um, but they did it, and he took the job. And it's uh, to this day, I think probably the strangest coaching change that uh, that that I can remember in NHL history. You know, also on this date as we wrap up the show here, Sean, it is the uh, the the week of in 1993. January the 12th, the Pittsburgh Penguins announced Mario Lemieux has been diagnosed with cancer and would be away from the team for an extended period of time. This is one of the most remarkable stories in the history of hockey, uh, Mario Lemieux and the 93 Penguins. Yeah, his history of sports, I would say. I mean, I've, I've written before, and, and people who know me know, uh, to me, that 92-93 season is the, the most fascinating, interesting, entertaining season in, in the history of hockey, and, and this was a big part of it. And at the time, uh, you know, when when we got that news, uh, I mean, it was it was jaw dropping. This was, of course, back before the twenty four hour news cycle and you know Twitter and all of that stuff. So you know, a lot of people had no clue uh, that the, that there were health uh, concerns with Mario Lemieux beyond the fact that you know we knew his back was bad and stuff like that. But this kind of came out of nowhere. We didn't know if he was going to be back at all. Uh, there there was talk at the time like, our this this could be it for Mario Lemieux. Certainly, we won't see him again this season. And then, of course, people know he he goes away. He misses twenty games, comes back, and still wins the score. It doesn't just win the scoring title; like just blows past everybody. Wins the scoring title in a sixty-game season, uh, leads his team back into the playoffs, and resumes his career that that would go on for for years to come. A great story, uh, but at the time, this you know this this week in history, uh, just. Uh, an awful story that that I think had a lot of us think of the worst. Yeah, and how about that? We uh, we talked about the Penguins and Capitals uh, in the present. We wrap up by talking about the Penguins and the Capitals in the past, and I'm sure we're going to get a lot of hatred from uh, Rangers and Flyers and uh, Devils fans for that. Well, that listen, Sean, that doesn't seem like them. That doesn't seem right at all. Uh, hey, listen, this was a lot of fun. Uh, enjoy uh, enjoy this uh, next uh, this first weekend of hockey. And uh, again, we want to remind people to hit us up on Twitter and and uh, and email. But listen, this was uh, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was great, and um, looking forward to this uh, every week. And uh, look, I hope people uh, enjoy it, and looking forward to hearing from from them as well. Yeah. All right. And again, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. Again, email any questions to us at the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at eight four five four four five eight four. And if you're not an athletic subscriber, join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show.